0: Driven by a commitment to advancing interoperability in healthcare and making meaningful impact in the lives of millions, PointClick Care is developing solutions to real-world problems to mend a fragmented care system to enable faster, better decision-making and improved clinical outcomes. Learn more at www.pointclickcare.com. Point Click Care is a proud sector partner of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association.
1: You could have the data sufficiently protected, of course, so that policymakers could make real-time decisions to get at the things you're talking about. Making better outcomes without overburdening people because that challenge will only get more and more difficult.
0: This is Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population a podcast about how we can better support our seniors. I'm your host, Donna Duncan. I am also the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents about 70% of long-term care homes in Ontario, Canada. With the increasing need for seniors' care and supports in society today, there's a lot of discussion around the world for far more innovation. Today's guest is one of the best people to take on this topic. Bill Trenetsky is a health innovation strategist who has worked in both the public and private sector and brings a wealth of global perspective and depth of experience and leadership in our healthcare systems, particularly in supporting seniors' care around the world. Bill is the former Chief Innovation Strategist for the Province of Ontario, and now serves as Executive Vice President, Health System Solutions and Government Affairs at Point Click Care. Welcome to the show, Bill. You've taken an interesting path in your career, private sector, public sector, private sector again. Could you maybe uh, share with us how you got on that path and 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 where that path is taking you?
1: I consider myself pretty fortunate in the way that my careers unfolded. The initial plan was to be a corporate lawyer. But along the way, a friend and mentor of mine was elected to Canada's parliament, a guy called uh, Bill Graham. I asked if I wanted to come help him get set up in Ottawa as he had never been elected member of parliament before. Anyway, I ended up taking a leave of absence in my third year of practice to go up and be his chief of staff. But after I was with Bill for a period of time, I was recruited into Alan Rock's office when Alan Rock was the Minister of Justice and Attorney General of the country. So for a lawyer, it was a fantastic job. And I ended, ended up spending three years, therefore, as a senior political advisor in our nation's capital. And when I look back on the career, that was kind of the game changer, because I think that meant that I always was going to be looking to do something more than you know the, than simply simply in air quotes the practice of law after being a partner for a few years to with the pharmaceutical industry because if you like global issues if you like business and government and law and you like to work globally that is obviously one of those industries but by the time I went to the global head office I had this calling card of integrating the work for which government. Uh, You know, we were working with government together with the commercial work where government was customers. And when I came back to Toronto, uh, I'm a sucker for wanting to make a difference. And that button was pushed by Bob Bell, who, again, many of your folks will know, the former head of UHN, who is the Deputy Minister of Health. And a committee had just said, you know, we need to do a better job in Ontario adopting and scaling innovation in the health sector but to get that done, we're going to need to find someone who has the sensibility of the public service but has a commercial background. And they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I and I did. And so I really loved the job with the Ministry of Health where it was the chief health innovation strategist. That's where I got to know OLTCA for the first time. And we worked on driving the behavioral change on the inside of the system to get folks to adopt and scale health innovation more quickly And more broadly than before, and at the same time worked externally to put healthcare providers together with principally Ontario scale-up companies, but not only Ontario scale-up companies, we weren't shutting the door on multinationals or anything, it was really, but the idea was to help create jobs and wealth in the health sector in Ontario, use health as an economic driver, which is what's done in every country around the world, literally. So it was a really interesting job. Long-term care was one of the sectors I put a circle around because, of course, there is private as well as public investment. And that's how I got to know long-term care. And then I got to join point click Care.
0: Really welcome your thoughts as we think about this moment and how do we seize this, this extraordinary moment? And, and what does it mean in terms of what the future is going to look like when we look at how technology has evolved and how science has moved things forward in, in as little as a year.
1: I had this conversation on the weekend with somebody, my mother, actually. So I had the conversation with my mother and I said to her, so she's about 80, right? And I think that she and her friends, I would just say, are people that really benefit by that personal interaction with physicians. I just mean, she's a Bry 80, right? You wouldn't think she's over 60, but they're of a of a view that they, you know, they want that interpersonal reaction. And so we're having a conversation about the role of virtual care, which of course has absolutely exploded for out of necessity over the past 18 months. And she was shocked when I told her, and she was just, I guess, positing that maybe it's gone too far, right? Like. shouldn't we we really be talking to our doctors in person? And I said, yeah, I hear you. But you know, it's not as it's not an all or nothing proposition. And where we started before the pandemic was nothing. It was almost literally zero virtual care in the province of Ontario. And now we had to go by necessity to for a period of time, almost 100%. Right. And so we've had experience with both. But there's just so many examples, both of what Government can do when it wants to move quickly, and the need for the private sector if we're actually going to do things on a on a global scale. So I hope that that fundamentally is one of the lessons that emerges out of this. Because I got I'll be honest with you, and people who worked with me knew this. I was so tired of some of the discussions that I've had I would have in that chief health innovation strategist role with serious people in Ontario and around the country, as I was on speaking engagements or or talking to boards or whatever it might be, a person literally in the course of conversation at the dinner table telling me, I don't want the private sector involved in healthcare. I don't want commercialization to happen at the expense of patient outcomes at all. However, they are not mutually exclusive. I mean, the countries with the best outcomes, France, the Scandinavian countries, they all have a mix of private and public health care. We do need the private and the public sector to collaborate optimally if we're going to get optimal results for residents or patients, you know, in a in a way that's that's a reasonable cost of, of delivering those outcomes. So I hope for me, that's the most important thing that could come. And then the second thing I would say is I hope that people see whether it's long-term care or elsewhere in the health industry, the role, the critical role that technology can play, because another one of my, I think you've heard me say this, there's no way, even pre-pandemic even, there was no way that a focus solely on beds and staffing was going to solve the increasing demand for long-term care, uh, you know, senior care generally, community-based care, right?
0: As you know, uh, our association, we have the privilege of representing nonprofit homes, uh, municipal homes, and small independent homes, but also large publicly traded companies. And, uh, you know, in wave one, we saw a lot of our private homes, quite honestly, be hit in a devastating way in terms of loss of life, in large part because they held the older homes, because those homes weren't redeveloped in the 1990s, when, which was the last time the Government of Ontario actually had a construction program or a development program for, for long-term care. And so we saw that, that, that devastating impact. But then in the second wave, we saw that the outbreaks really hit our municipal and nonprofit homes and and even today we're in wave 4 now we have vaccines thank you science and thank you for those partnerships between between those companies and governments around the world because it it it's it's been the game changer and really has saved the lives of, of our residents and and our and all of us quite honestly it is it is the weapon against this this deadly virus I think you've raised some really interesting points around how do you bundle care and services together? How do you support those transitions? So as we think about that future of care and and think of the work that you do with point click click care, which which supports transitions and, and sharing of information, how do we make that move more quickly?
1: For folks who don't know, um, point click care like we we call ourselves the leading health tech platform that unites diverse providers right across the continuum so to your point and the idea is to enable connection collaboration data sharing all those things that are critical points of of health tech infrastructure as well as access to real time patient insights at any stage in the you know the patient the resident's healthcare journey so the platform spans the whole care continuum. And as a result is it is able to enable or, or encourage proactive, an important word, holistic, another important word, decision-making and ultimately improved outcomes. And if you're to look at, you know, talk about the, you know, the value-based care definition for Porter and Kaplan, you know, it it really does help providers deliver those improved you know, actual health outcomes in relation to the actual cost of delivering them. Not on our own or anything, but but it's but this it's this health tech infrastructure is the foundation for the, some of the things you've been talking about. We're in about 65% of long-term care, they call them skilled nursing facilities in the U.S. and uh, assisted living homes in the U.S. But as much as we're, you know, we are definitely an Ontario company for 1,900 employees, a 1,000 of them work in, in the Mississauga head office of the area. So I give you all that as a wind-up to say that I think there's a, there's a couple of things that, that will be really important. First, some just nuts and bolts stuff. And we're not the only ones who can provide this, by the way. I just wanted to set that up for people. My, my mantra, and you've heard me say this, it's that beds, invest in beds, staffing, and technology, or beds and staffing and innovation. It's, it's pick your metaphor, a three-legged stool, perhaps. And why does that, it matters in the micro, and then it matters in the macro, including in policymaking. So for example, when you, you talk about transitions of care, again, in the magic wand world, if we were to look at you know, two, in an area where we're gonna have even further regulation of senior care facilities in, in all countries, uh, that's inevitable post-pandemic. One of the things we tell people is, Okay, so you've already got an overburdened sector. I mean, it was before the pandemic, it is now and as as you said, staffing is problem 1, 2 and 3. So we understand it's 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 not an if, it's a when that there's more regulation coming. So when you, regulation comes with your desire for improved outcomes, whatever that might look like, but combined with the overburdened already overburdened sector Let's all figure out the way to focus that regulation to to get to the desired outcome without further and unnecessarily burdening these folks. So, so what does that look like? Well, we think it focuses on areas that you've talked about, right? Like it's transitions. If you're looking at the health system, it's transitions of care. It's those, if we had a visual, you know, it's the different nodes in the health system where pick your, your use case, right. But, but somebody is already in a home and, and, Falls, you know that's a that's a probably number one cause of readmission. Fall, it's an injurious fall; they break a leg. Now they go to the emergency ward. Then they might have surgery. Then at some point they're discharged. There's in the, so many different transitions in that use case that we could we could do better on. So let's just start with the discharge from the hospital for the the first time into a home. You know, we should not be doing paper based anything anymore. And there's a couple of reasons for that. We know that the greatest cause of hospital readmissions happen in the first 72 hours. And we know that they're principally due to things like slips and falls or things like medication. And a lot of that might come from the, we know, comes from the fact that we still have a lot of situations where the patient records follow the patient, uh, soon to be a resident, by being stapled to the gurney. So there's so many problems with this, not the least of which is that's just woefully inefficient. But also now we've got some already overworked person at the home who's got to re input that data. There's always a risk of human error. It's not being critical of anyone. It's just life, right? There's a risk of human error. There's an inefficient medication reconciliation effort. And ultimately, it leads to problems with the outcomes and then the cost of the readmission back to the hospital. That point of transition is one where you could very easily have on platforms that already exist. I mean, we're in we're in a, over ninety percent of Ontario's long term care homes and retirement homes. So, but anyway, the point is the platform already exists. It's a cloud based technology. It's as you know. It's, a, it's some of these things are are as simple as you know as getting a, a new app on your iPhone. Obviously, there's training involved, but nevertheless, the point would be if if we just look at a tiny investment in that transition to append to an already existing platform will literally save the system millions of dollars. So that's kind of the micro, and and there's, there's more that can be done on medication management just as a tool generally. So, if the first opportunity for improvement is these trend points of transition, the second one would be improve clinical pathways across the system. You know, and there's different things that can be done again with an eye to not overburden or not further burdening already overburdened people. To help decision makers in the moment understand what should be done to deliver the outcomes in the optimal way. Again, being very cognizant of of workload and uh, burdening folks, so that notion of whether you end up going down a path of best practices uh, to standardization, ultimately to outcomes, I know is a bit loaded. Like the notion of I'm not I don't say it naively that standards is just something that everybody would love. However there are lots of ways where these systems can be brought in if they're actually adhered to, which means that you need that digital platform, which by the way, we already have where it could be beneficial to the individual home as well as to the system. And then on the macro, and we can, we can talk about this later, but think about the power of the policy, that the policymaker would have if that data rolled up to the center, appropriately anonymized, protected in all the right ways but if you're a policymaker now sitting at that table in the Ministry of Health, which is where strategy and funding emanates from, and now you can see what actually is happening in real time on the ground, think about the power of that.
0: There's absolutely no question that the pandemic has forced us all to challenge the status quo and find new ways of doing things. From the outset, one of the things that was clear to us all was the importance of data, especially the need for real-time data. I really welcomed Bill's reflections on the importance of information and data to support improved transitions in care and his thoughts on how data can improve working conditions and the quality of care provided by our care teams. You've used the word Outcomes a lot, and this is something that that we and I I've been advocating for as well, uh, together with with uh, our members, is how do we shift from compliance to a checklist to actually. Defining outcomes and having common definitions of outcomes. I know I, I chair uh, the, the quality committee of a hospital, Large Academic Health Sciences Centre. I know that the definition of a critical incident in the hospital is different than a critical incident in, in long-term care. And so as we're thinking about transitions, even across the lifespan, not just for seniors and within your care continuum... You know how do we define outcomes? What are outcomes, and and how do we how do we define outcomes in a way that the people we're caring for and supporting through their living journey actually understand and agree that those are the outcomes that they want?
1: So, I love that adage: "How do you eat an elephant?" And it's one bite at a time. And I feel like whether we're talking about outcomes or standards, you know, these big words we. And I'm guilty of this too. Like we get overwhelmed, right? Like, it, like it's, we have to do all of this at one time. And I guess the first thing I would say is there's probably areas where it's easier and we should start going down the path with those, uh, in those areas and get the success stories in place. I don't mean pilots. I'm also very sensitive, especially given that old, that, that Previous job of, you know, we're the province of pilots or the country of pilots. Everybody wants to pilot and we pilot a little more and a little bit, and we never actually adopt and scale, right? One of the big shortcomings of the system. But I'm talking about something a little bit different because it actually gets, because it's actually necessary to get to your point. I think if we could get a subset in one of the regions or in one of the area, the discipline areas to, to start that work, it's probably more. Attainable in some areas than even we think, right? Just like it's probably harder in other areas than than we would expect. But of course, it's not even as simple as that, right? Because there's the definitional part, and then there's actually using them in the sense of report requiring the reports that lead to real time change without overburdening people. So I th- I I think you know it's not a great answer, but but you do have to start somewhere and there's bound to be areas where it's easier. And it may be, that may be one example where the long-term care community is really well placed because there is, you know, there are a lot of independence. I'm kind of, it's a question, not so much a statement. Like I wonder if it is a a area where it could start because it's a relatively cohesive group. It's well-led. The associate has strong associations and as much as it ranges from, you know, the four or five big private providers to independents, they all are doing generally the same thing.
0: Well, I mean, it's an interesting point because in this moment, we even over the last 12 months, we've actually started to see differentiation within the sector. And we have one of our members who's partnered with hospitals to make sure that they can support the transition of individuals from hospital into to move into a long-term care home, but they may have more highly responsive behaviours and may not be an, an appropriate fit. Safety would be a, a real issue both for from the, the individual's perspective, but also from a a care team perspective and from the the safety and well-being of the the other residents. And so they have partnered with the hospital for psychogeriatric support. So geriatric psychiatry is providing additional support. Geriatricians are also supporting them. Another one of our members has partnered with a hospital where the hospital is actually embedded beds in the long-term care home. So there are 60 beds in this long-term care home that are dedicated hospital beds, operating as hospital beds. And this is a mechanism to support Transitions in a very different kind of way. They are, they are what we call in, in, in Canada, alternate level of care. So these are individuals who are no longer acute, don't actually have to be in the physical hospital, but they are still, the level of acuity and their care needs are still far higher than could be served in a traditional long-term care setting. An- another one of our members is proposing to build a psychiatric, a mental health and addictions long-term care home. So we, we're not built to allow for that innovation, but imagine if we could start to see greater differentiation and looking at different models and really starting to imagine who, who it is that we're actually serving and not have long-term care as being this universal catch-all where regardless of, of what your needs are, that's where you're going to go and they're going to give you what they can based on what they're funded for and whatever staffing model is prescribed in our legislation.
1: So this is the challenge of long-term care, even from where I was sitting before, that like yes, yes, and yes to everything you've said, and you, and you read about these exciting models. So Obviously, right. The more successful ones from a resident and patient, and ultimately health outcomes perspective, however they're defined, are the ones that do address that combination of need and and desire. Because you you have happier you have happier people, right? It's the Cleveland Clinic model where you're measuring satisfaction as much as you are outcomes. Because at the end of the day, in health, you know that they're interrelated. So when we talk about standards in long term care, it's so important. To not go down that path of reinforcing what I would say is just a regulatory environment that it's focused almost solely, it feels like sometimes, on compliance. And that compliance mindset is not synonymous with a digital standardization around outcomes that allows people to improve their own outcomes, but also run that data up to the center. They're not synonymous. And it's a great reminder of how, you know, when we're talking about these things, we have to be clear. I don't know how we get away from that without dramatic change. And I'm not sure, again, another podcast, right? Like, do we have the appetite or frankly, the organizational capability and governments to in fact enact the kind of courageous dramatic change in the long-term care infrastructure that you're talking about? I wish, I hope we do. I wish we do. So it'll be interesting to see where that flexibility comes from, but you could still do standards Around a set of outcomes within the more flexible environment, that would be the, the perfect one.
0: Absolutely, and and we are talking about how do we measure quality of life as well as quality of care. And just to to loop back before we wind down, it's you've got data. <laughs> And how do we use data to tell the story about who our residents really are? And that was the shocking piece for everyone uh, around the world, quite honestly. There was no recognition of who our seniors are, who our residents are, because not everyone's a senior in long-term care, and what their clinical needs were, the the the, the complexity of those needs, and including for those with who are living with dementia. Dr. Rhonda Collins of Rivera says when you've met a person with dementia, you've met a person with dementia. So that, that again, it comes back to my analogy on coffee. And coffee is actually really important to our residents. And yet we prescribe when they can have their breakfast, lunch, and supper. And they don't get to have coffee when they want it. and But, but that notion of choice, of being able to bundle services and, and customize what you want, I, I, I actually believe... Government's not going to have a choice. And to your to our starting point, it's going to be those in the broader public sector and the private sector working together who are actually going to provide the impetus impetus for change. And it's going to be changed, informed by data uh, and information, and enabled, to your point, by technology. And it's if it, our health human resources issues are are number one, two, and three. We're not going to have enough people to care for people. And so therein, those that, that whole traditional paradigm breaks down, which is really exciting. It really is a wild moment of disruption. And the scope and scale of change that we need, it's going to take all of us working together.
1: The frustration of hearing people, again, consistent with my theme, of now calling that we should have no private delivery of long-term care. I mean... First of all, the notion that the public, that the ministries, the public sector could even come close to just physically developing or delivering that service is, frankly, naive. But it's also so misplaced because on your point on data, 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 we are so desperate to wanting to help the ministries understand the importance of that aggregated real-time data. I, we're good on research data. like We're good in in hi-hi or or somebody uh you know ice is telling us what happened 12 to 18 months ago but that's not what athena health can do in the u.s it's not what we can do it's not what others can do about delivering data in real time to actually affect care
0: yes what do you do with the data with those data right what how do you use data it's just not marveling at the numbers
1: again, the little commercial for our, for one of our products, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be us. Like, like, but, but we have a this product called Harmony that actually is, is a, a connection between the acute and the post acute uh, system. So we're not reporting to replace Epic or Cerner or those big hospital information systems, but, but we, or, or can connect anybody providing that senior care platform, we can connect right to the acute. And so, especially in an in a, you know, in the U.S. where they have ACOs or here where we have Ontario health teams and, and this integrated care notion is expanding. How powerful would that be? And there's, also, there's quotes from folks at St. Joe's Hospital and others where they're just seeing the power of just having integrated data between their acute and post-acute facilities to talk about, you know, be able to figure out what to do with the transition beds to uh, understand who actually is, uh, you know, how do you optimize that care in their various long-term care homes? But You could you could have that in each of the Ontario health teams. You could connect every hospital in Ontario to every long term care facility in Ontario, and then at the center, back to data, data, data. You could have the data sufficiently protected, of course, so that policymakers could make real time decisions to get at the things you're talking about, to get at making you know better outcomes standardized. However, we decide without overburdening people because. challenge will only get more and more difficult
0: well and at the heart of all of this is really people it's the the people who are who are living in the homes who are sleeping in the beds the people who are caring for them and the people who are visiting them and if we can take all of these data points and and really recenter i think that therein lies our, our great opportunity so uh Thank you, uh, Bill Turnetsky. This has been so enlightening. I've learned so much from you. I love your passion, uh, your enthusiasm. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your public service. Uh, you, you know, it, it really does help when you're working with people who, who know how government works or doesn't, but you, you still think about the possibilities and uh, therein... Uh, I, you know, it gives me great hope for the future. So thank you to you and, and point click care and your leadership and looking forward to those other podcasts. So I think, I think we've identified a number of them.
1: (laughs) That's right. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate
0: it. Here are a few insights that struck me from my discussion with Bill. first, collaboration and flexibility are key. When it comes to improving the continuum of care overall, it's essential that public and private organizations work together. We need everyone's innovative ideas in order to meet the demands of the coming demographic shift and to ensure that we can provide the diversified care that our seniors need today and tomorrow. Second, Implementing new and innovative technologies in the health and long-term care sectors will be crucial. Technology enables us to do things more quickly and efficiently and decreases the margin of human error significantly. Let's start with the success stories, build on what works and is working in other jurisdictions or other parts of the system and other parts of the world. Bill introduced examples from the United States and how their platform Harmony is being used. Just one example, but it shows how we can build on success. One final note, Bill and I spoke about the importance and value of working in the public service and the power of understanding how public policy is developed, but also the value of bringing experience from the private sector into the public sector. This type of cross-pollination only results in better outcomes for everybody. Thank you for listening to Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate the show five stars, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our next episode will be airing on November 9th. Until next time, I'm your host, Donna Duncan. Stay well.